Welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview health and wellness practitioners across the globe to see what sets them apart. You will find out why they not only teach and talk about health, but how they walk the walk as well. If you ever wanted to see what others are doing on a daily basis to get healthy and be able to implement in your life, then you're in the right place. Also, I'd like to invite you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com and take your free brain health quiz today to see where the health of your brain lies. And for taking the quiz, you will get a copy of my book for free, The Four Morning Secrets to Perfect Brain Health, shipped to your door. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Harowski. And welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 42. In today's episode, I interview holistic health coach Amanda Patty. Be sure to stick around to hear what Amanda's favorite morning tea is, if she has really done levitation, as well as learn about all seven, or maybe more, physical and spiritual diaphragms. Alrighty, guys, another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And on the line today, I have Amanda Patty. I'm excited to talk to her. So, Amanda, first question that I ask everybody tell us about your health journey in 10 sentences or less. Oh, wow. That's a really great question. I would say my health journey started, gosh, five, six years ago or so. Uh, in particular, I was in a car accident, rear ended by a dump truck, and pushed into two other cars. Found myself in completely incapacitating pain. Was a super active yogi before then, and I went from being really active to not being able to roll over. So that was really a huge wake-up lesson for me, and how do I get my body feeling better again so I can get back into moving again and enjoying life? Uh, so it was a big three-year journey of how do I get from A to B? And during that journey, I dove more deeply into various movement practices. I was introduced to the Czech way of thinking. Uh, met up with John Stafos, who's based out of New Jersey. And he was the one who really propelled me on my journey towards healing. And since then, it's just been a rocket launch. And where are you now with that, with yourself, with your business? Like, uh, what are you really working on currently? Oh, goodness. With myself, I mean, it's crazy to think of where I was and where I am now. I mean, I would say I'm like 95 plus percent better. Every now and then something will flare up, but most of the time it's uh, an emotional trigger. So if I get super stressed out, my hip will be sore. And it's like, oh, okay, something going on that I'm not listening to. Why don't I take a step back and see what my body's really telling me? See, and now that's great because like you said, it's your body is telling you what's going on and the stress of some sort is going to be the trigger. I mean, whether you know, you're, you're probably much better at identifying it than uh, everybody else maybe with their certain stressors, but talk to me, because I know you're into a lot of intuitive and empathic work. Like, how does that apply both with like your, your own personal healing uh, from your injury, but also even like when you would be working with clients or anything like that, like how, how does that come into play then? Oh, it's a huge piece. For me, in terms of my healing journey, I was sitting there originally thinking, oh, this is just a physical injury, which, I mean, it was. You get rear-ended, and you're going to have physical injury sure. and everything else. <laughs> but the big wake-up call was a lot of it was emotional stuff. <clears throat> so for me, during my yoga practice, I would have times where I'd be sitting on the mat, and emotions would come up, anger, sadness. Those would be the two big ones. And I never really gave myself permission to express those. I mean, all yogis say, yeah, you know, you can cry on your mat, it's okay, but when you're sitting there bawling in a room full of 30 people in Shavasana, <laughs> is it really okay? <laughs> uh, why not, So right? Yeah, so I stuffed those emotions down inside my body and um, pretty much broke myself. And it was working with uh, John that I realized, oh, wait a minute, a lot of this is not... A physical injury, a lot of it's emotional. So just um, giving myself permission to really opening up that door and exploring that dark, nourishing mud within myself and diving into healing that way. A lot of the clients I see, a lot of them are referrals 
They've been to chiropractors, physical therapists, doctors, orthopedists, and they're not getting better. They're in pain, lost hope, not moving, and they come to see me, and although we may start with the physical piece, a lot of it gets down to the emotional nitty-gritty of things. And while I'm working with them, I could pick up on, oh, you know, hey, when was that accident again? I'm picking up on something in your leg and be like, oh, well, you know, it was a year, a year ago, two days from now. And I'll start crying. Um, other times, people who aren't grounded, I may be working up near their head and it's like this weird spider web weavy thing that I get this strange image or picture of. And I'll say afterwards, like, gosh, you know, I feel like I'm playing limbo in multiple directions, almost like some strange matrixy thing. What's that all about? And I'm like, oh, that's my life. That's what I feel like every single day. Um, and then others, it could be as simple as coming out and just picking up on grief that they're holding. Coming out and saying, geez, you know, when was the last time you cried? And they sit there and they look at you and they're like, geez, you know, I don't remember. Or I haven't cried in three years. And it's like, okay, well, your homework is to go home and watch a sappy movie and give yourself permission to cry. <laughs> and these emotions are stuck in our bodies and they're going to show up on the physical level if we don't give ourselves permission to express them on the emotional level and just let stuff move through us. So that's some of the intuitive stuff I pick up on. Um, no, I mean, let me, yeah. let me interject quick. Cause I have a question even on that then. So is this something that you've developed over time? Like you've cultivated this, is this something that we're like, you had this like intuition and it was like, wait, what is going on here? Like, how did that really come about for you? Yeah, that's a really, really great question. It took me years to sort things out. Um, when I was a little kid, I was, I was pretty intuitive. And I remember one incident of sitting in the living room and having the sensation of levitating. And I was 100% convinced I was levitating. Now, whether it was an actual physical levitation or more like an out-of-body experience of, being, of floating around the room in the same kind of cross-legged position, I was like, hey, mom. I just levitated. I floated from the couch to the TV and flew around and came back and sat down. And she's like, oh, it's just your imagination. And then there were numerous times growing up where I'd be laying in bed and be like, there are people in my room. Absolutely convinced there were two ghosts. They would stand at the end of my bed or sit on my end of my bed. I can still describe them to this day. And they would just stand there and sit and watch me. And of course, as a little kid, it's like you're absolutely terrified. Like, what the heck are you doing in my room? There's a scary monster. Mom and dad are saying this is just my imagination, but yet I can see them. And at the same time, I can physically feel them sitting on the foot of my bed. What is this? So it's kind of where it all began. It's kind of like childhood and having these different things and being told, oh, it's just your imagination. None of this is real. And then. As I got older and started diving more into healing practices, it could be absolutely fine one minute and working on a client and all of a sudden I feel like bawling my eyes out and seeing and saying, you know, what is that? Is that my stuff or is that is that their stuff? Where is this coming from? And thinking that, oh, they're just bringing up stuff in me, which on one hand they are because there is nothing that's outside of self. We're all mirrors of each other. <laughs> so it exists in them, exists within myself. But being able to take a step back, either when I'm working with people or if I'm in a room while other people are being worked with, and being able to sit and sort things out and say, oh, wait a minute, this isn't my stuff, quote unquote, my stuff, <laughs> then I'm picking on, this is their stuff. And what is it really that they're holding on to? You know, what is this grief and what is this anger? Where is this coming from? That's incredible. I mean, no, because <laughs> people will talk about these things. And like you said, it's when you're younger this type of thing gets suppressed it's oh that's your imagination that's not really happening but is that no I mean is that fear from the parents like they don't want to uh accept that as their kid really is probably seeing feeling like having these true emotions or uh they, they are seeing these things like this isn't necessarily a made-up thing and people will get often confused about that seeing thinking that okay, that just can't happen. Like, no, that's that's beyond them. But uh, I, I really think that there's a lot to that. And like you said, the interconnectedness of just everybody seeing oneself in others, this this is really what it's all about. Uh, and I, I think that's got to be incredible to be able to work with somebody 
at that level to be able to help them through these problems that they have where it's these emotions have never been let out of them or they've been so suppressed like you said somebody hasn't cried in three years i mean i can imagine what they would be holding on to uh is, is there anything to use uh now for yourself uh like for yourself or when you're practicing with somebody like when you're working with somebody to help your intuition like to really uh cultivate that to really just let it out and be able to get in touch with that that's a really great question sometimes it depends on just where i am in the day and kind of reading the clients some clients are more open than others and you can definitely pick right up on that i mean yeah. some, are, some are like an open book and others will come out and say yeah you know you can work with me i'm totally fine with that and you know i could be sitting there and Meanwhile, they're saying, God help me, God help me, God help me, over and over in their head and throwing the like, red energetic darts at me. It's like, okay, you're really not cool with this, are you? <laughs> What's going on at this other level? You know, what part of you doesn't feel comfortable with this? And sometimes it's just developing trust over time. I mean, some people come in, they're very open to whatever my approach is. And others, it's, it's baby steps. You know, starting off on the physical and then diving into the more intuitive and emotional piece. But in terms of specific things I might do before a session, uh, meditation definitely helps. And just clearing myself and getting as clear as I can and trying to leave as much of my own crap at the door. So I'm not being influenced with any type of projections or judgments that I might have about stuff that's coming up for them. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I would say those are probably the two biggest things. And then there's also plant medicine, where if I'm sometimes even in the room with that, I sense the vibration of it, and I can kind of tap in. And sometimes that helps open the, the gateways even more. So when you say plant medicine, what, what types of plants, what forms of these plants, like how would you use that uh, to help uh, expand this? Right. Um, so one of them uh, I use, it's, it's actually, I guess you could say a dead plant in some ways. So Palo Santo has been a huge one for me. Sage is another in terms of clearing the air. Uh, marijuana. Um, sometimes I have used that myself. Other times just being in the presence of other people using it and picking up on their vibration. Absolutely. Raises mine and it just, it, it parts the veil so I can see more clearly. Now, do you have, even just that you'll use, uh, not necessarily for intuition, but just overall health, like specific plants, specific herbs, uh, anything that you're a big fan of just for healing yourself, for just staying strong, staying vital, like all of the above, really. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. My... Or some of your favorites, at least. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess the, as I can see your face lighting up there, I think this list could go on and on, right? No, but what are some of like, those really powerful ones that you think can just have a great impact for people? Yeah, my, my most favorite um, herbs right now that I use on an almost daily basis for my own health and well-being are Padiarco and Cat's Claw Tea. So I make a decoction of that. I use it for a base with my smoothies. And then my other two favorites right now are Reishi and Heishu Wu. Those are, those are kind of my, my everyday go-to herbs and I love them like there is absolutely no tomorrow. <laughs> it's one of those things if I go without Reishi, I'm like, man, I miss that mushroom so much. <laughs> Okay, now, okay, so Reishi, perfect example. Let's talk about it. how do you use that? Do you do a decoction with that as well? Uh, do you, I mean, do you eat it? Do you uh, use it in a tincture? I mean, or any and all of the above? Yeah, so I usually get um, Reishi extract in a powder form. I've been getting it from Primal Herb. And I will mix it in tea. If I happen to have decaf, I'll do it then because I can't have regular caffeine. And I'll use it in my smoothies as well. So anywhere from a teaspoon up to a tablespoon a day. No, that's interesting because I've been uh, using more chaga myself recently. But I wanted to get into like reishi, cordyceps, a couple different other mushrooms to try. Uh, I actually make it like when I'm brewing my coffee, I'll brew, like I'll, I'll put that right in with the grounds there. 
just to have the hot water extra extraction of it then too. So yeah, that's definitely one of the ones. Okay, so what is it about the reishi though that is uh, so powerful to you? Oh, to me, it's very grounding. It's a super, super grounding mushroom and it helps to calm my adrenals and I want to say boost my energy as well. And to me, it has a very kind of feminine vibe to it. And I feel very connected to the mushroom and to the earth itself. So it's very nurturing feeling. And it's like this nurturing, uplifting, I'm being held and caressed by the energy of this fungus, which is just amazing. Yeah. And then I know Shaga has, to me, has a very different vibration. Uh, very okay. So talk to me about your feelings on Chaga. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. So I've definitely used Shaga as well. But to me, it has, it's like the masculine side. I, I can definitely, I, I can it. understand so Rishi's that. So Rishi's the feminine and Shaga's the, the masculine side. Um, <clears throat> so to me, the Shaga, it's a little bit, I, I want to say it has more of an oomph, like mm -hmm. an uplifting oomph. I don't really know what words to to characterize it with, but it doesn't, it doesn't have that gentle, ma, you know. No, I understand. Super soft and watery quality as the Rishi. It, it definitely has a different quality to it, but. Another, yeah. it's if, another if I fantastic. use it, it's, it's one of those like, ah, like I, I feel yeah. very strong, very vital when using now. No, because now I'm really excited to try the reishi with you saying that because I want to see, okay, maybe that chaga is like my go get them. I want to use that in the morning and then the reishi like an evening tea, something like that, that I would use it for. Okay. This is, I, I like this. This is great. Like getting different ideas. So thank you <laughs> for that. Cool. Uh, okay. We were talking about uh, adrenals there too. And we talked a few weeks ago, and the topic of diaphragms came up. And I don't know if adrenals really play into that at all, too. I have a feeling that they do. But diaphragms, like, people think of just when you're breathing, like the diaphragm. That's, for the most part, I would say over 99% of people, I don't think this is an overestimation. That's the only one that they're really aware of or have any idea about. And I know that there are a few more, but I don't know much about them. And this is one of those things that, hey... Let's 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 hear like a knowledge bomb here for everybody. Like, expand upon <laughs> it. Like, what is it about diaphragms? Like, what makes them so misunderstood, but also just why are they so important? Yeah, well, diaphragms are a source of breath. You know, and and if our diaphragms aren't expanding and contracting optimally, or they're not synced up fully, they're going to impact every single le level of our being, from the physical level straight on through the spiritual in my opinion and a lot of this is just completely intuitively based some of it yes I've learned through various courses along the way but as we kind of go along we'll get into some very what I would consider woo-woo stuff let's let's do many it I, I, I love woo-woo <laughs> let's 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 blow everybody's minds here awesome okay so you but you said diaphragms plural what other diaphragms are there out there or what what is it you said like everything needs to line up in us what are they Right. So as you mentioned, the main one is our, of course, our diaphragm, the main muscle of breathing that we sit and think of when we think of a diaphragm. But I say there are an infinite number of diaphragms that can affect us, um, both on a physical level all the way up to an energetic level. So when we stand up and we ask somebody, where do you breathe, breathe from? You know, what, what response would you give? Myself? Yeah. I, I would say my belly. That's that's where I've been taught to breathe from. Yeah. When I first was asked that question, where do you breathe from? I learned we actually breathe from our feet. Okay. Please first. explain. Yeah. Yeah. So our feet is our connection with the earth. And depending on how sensitive we are connected to the earth and how much we're listening to it. And also our arches. I mean, I very much think of those like the diaphragms. Our arches are collapsed. Or likewise, we have um, overly arched feet holding excess tension. Then they're not as um, sensitive and receptive to the pulsations of the earth as we're walking upon it, which will have a chain reaction all the way up our entire body. So to me, our first diaphragm is actually our feet. I can definitely see that. Yeah, and I, I like that whether it's just completely squished, flattened out, or like you, you, need, you don't want that super high rigid arch either something in between is going to be optimal for that 
Right, right. And there's a balance, and that balance is constantly fluctuating at any given point in time, depending on you know, what surface we're standing on, how we're moving, how we're feeling that day, um, all the way to the energy of the ground we're standing on. I mean, there's definitely going to be a difference in how our body perceives that energy and how we breathe, whether we're standing out in the middle of a beautiful forest or on some sacred ground somewhere, or if we're standing on the rem remnants of you know, the Twin Towers. 9-11. So very, very different energies that when we stand on them, our feet are going to pick up on those and straight on up through that head, you know? Absolutely. Now, what, what would be, what, what's coming up next? Like, all right, we, we went to the feet. What's, what's moving up the chain here? Yeah. So the next one is the actual, the pelvic floor. And that makes sense to me. Absolutely. And, and that one is, um, I want to say taught in certain circles. We'll say the next, the next three, the pelvic floor up to the next few are taught in certain courses and circles, so they may be more familiar um, to people. Now, what is, okay, pelvic floor, why does that matter? What's, so, what's such a big deal about this? <laughs> yeah, I almost like to think of it like a cylinder. So the pelvic floor is the bottom of the cylinder that holds everything. And, you know, just like the feet, if it's overly tight or... You know, if the pelvic floor muscles are on the looser side, it's going to affect how we're breathing, how we're moving, and everything else. And the pelvic floor muscles contract in a certain way that ties in with the actual diaphragm itself. And the next one up, which we'll get into in a moment. Hey, please keep going yeah. with that. Yeah, I mean, no, go ahead, work your way up here. I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I'm, I'm enjoying this like successive buildup. Successive buildup. <laughs> again, it's not thought of like, okay, yeah, sure, there's one diaphragm, but pelvic floor and just our classic diaphragm are so important on so many levels <laughs> and and it's just oh well people don't think of incontinence necessarily as a problem like oh i'm getting older like no big deal well that's letting us know there's a big problem going on some level and that can be even traced down to the feet but also coming up into mm -hmm. the pelvic floor the diaphragm so yeah please keep going with that amanda exactly and exactly the same thing with you know the problem with crossfitters and double unders you know, taking people who are in fantastic shape, and it's like, okay, well, you're peeing on the floor when you're doing double unders. What's going on? That's, there's that a dysfunction. <laughs> there's a dysfunction somewhere in the chain if that's happening. Um, but yeah, so we have the regular diaphragm muscle itself, and then up above that, it's the back of the upper palate. When we rest our tongue on the back of the upper palate, it unifies those three diaphragms: the pelvic floor the main diaphragm and the back of the upper palate and creates a circuit for energy to flow through. And now, is that microcosmic orbit? Is that correct? Or yeah. That's what I've heard it referred to as. Um, and that's where keeping that chain working properly is allowed to, is going to allow that energy to flow and move throughout you, correct? Exactly, exactly. Okay. Excellent. All right, so we've worked our way up into the palate, to the mouth there. What, what's, what's coming next? Yeah, so the next one are actually the cranial bones themselves. Most people think, oh, when we're adults, our cranial bones become fused, and they don't move at all, which would put all the craniosacral therapists out of business. <laughs> when in actually, we do have very small, subtle movements that our cranial bones make. And when we inhale, our cranial, our cranium expands and contracts when we exhale. So it has this natural pulsation to it, and at any time, if our cranial bones are stuck and they're not shifting, it's going to affect how efficiently we're breathing. So it's another diaphragm, and then beyond that, now we're starting to get into the really boo-boo stuff, um, is the aura. So to me, it's, that's another diaphragm, and we Please, have before you jump into that, yeah. actually, uh, Explain to the listeners what an aura is, if they're if they might, because some people may not be sure. Okay, well, I've heard of an aura. Yeah, that's just something like a, a light surrounding it or whatever. Uh, but hey, maybe give a little bit more insight as to what that is, really, or at least what that means to you. Right. So to me, it's it's very much an energetic field. Um, it largely consists of seven layers, and coinciding with the seven main chakras of the body. And as you get into things and things open up and, I mean, we're talking crystalline stuff, then, you know, the aura can expand as well as the chakras into multiple additional layers and everything. But it's mainly seven energetic layers that surround the body. So then, yeah, please keep going. Like, how, how is that now a diaphragm? Like, how does that 
act in relation to the others even. Yeah, well, you could think of the seven layers kind of like a bubble. And at any point in time, say you walk into a room and sometimes, you know, somebody just had this huge fight in the room and you pick up on it and you feel kind of tense and nervous. You didn't know what happened beforehand. You just happen to walk in and you feel this like heavy, intense energy. A lot of times it's the aura contracting around you, which in turn is going to affect your entire breathing through your system. If you feel energetically squished and compacted versus expansive, are you going to take a deep breath? Probably not, unless you're consciously aware of, wait a minute, <laughs> something going on here. I, I feel nervous. I feel tense. Why do I feel that way? <clears throat> and likewise, this, this same bubble, we can consciously invite it to expand and contract. Much as one might think of a um, very basic energetic technique as warming the hands together, rubbing them together. And place them fairly close and imagine you're holding a warm loaf of bread and allowing yourself to feel that pulsation of the bread. And then as time comes on, you can move your hands further and further apart and then start pulsing them a little bit together. And you can feel that energetic exchange within your hands. Or aura can do the same exact thing. So to me, it's another, it's another diaphragm that pulses and changes depending on which situation we're in and whether or not we choose to allow ourselves to expand or contract as well. For instance, if I go into a busy supermarket, I choose to draw my aura in a bit because I'm just way too open. I pick up on too much stuff. I can get super easily overwhelmed. So I sit and I choose, you know, I'm going to intentionally close this in so I'm not quite so open and I can remain somewhat safe, not that I'm not safe, in this situation so I don't get energetically overwhelmed. And that way I'm able to keep my breathing and everything else fairly calm. Whereas if I keep myself super wide open, I get bombarded with stuff and I'm like, whoa! <laughs> and I <laughs> imagine for you that would probably not only be from people, but all of the food surrounding you as well. Oh, the food, the lights, the energy of yeah. the building. Like There are certain places where I just despise going grocery shopping, like Market Basket. I mean, no offense to Market Basket or its employees or anything, but it has a very different energetic feel than, say, going to the local farm or going to Whole Foods. That makes a lot of sense. And just now that, I mean, gets down to then, okay, how were most of the foods raised there? What were they done? Like, what was done to them or what were they given? Uh, but as well as that, the people growing it. Like, hey, if the farmers are loving and just wanting people to come by, like, going to probably be a much more welcoming place to go to than just a commercial grocery store where they don't really care about what that food is just kind of get it off the shelves and keep moving it exactly and exactly and it brings up the question you know how much waste is there you know with all of this commercially grown stuff which is a farm you know versus a farmer and yes they slaughter their animals kind of as needed and based on demand but you go into any type of commercial grocery chain and the stocks are constantly, I mean, the shelves are constantly stocked with meat and everything else. And it's like, well, how many animals were killed to supply this meat? And how much of this meat is actually getting consumed versus just thrown out and placed in the dumpster? I mean, that I don't have a question for. It would be an interesting thing to kind That's of... That's amazing. I've, I've never thought of something... Like, I've thought of that, but I've never really, like, yeah, like you said, explored upon it to really see, like, how much is wasted? How much of this could be at least used for people in need like anything like that where it's okay we know this is there's everything you can pretty much have a good idea as how long that shelf life is like it's it's not going to be a big surprise coming forward on things but to be able to use that before then to at least share it and allow people to get that energy from the plants the animals whatever it may be yeah yeah i think quite frankly i i my gut tells me it would be a tremendous amount of waste it's, it's kind of a gut feeling about it. But I, I, I don't have any arguments on that <laughs> for sure. Amanda, uh, bringing this back to uh, even diaphragms. So we talked about the aura. Now, is there something else beyond that? <laughs> yeah, for sure. What is that? Um, so beyond the aura, and this is completely intuitively based, based on various meditative and consciousness-based practices that I've experienced is if you really let yourself go from where you perceive yourself to be, which is a human being on Earth surrounded by billions and billions of other humans and everything, and kind of see yourself as the viewer on this pedestal watching all of this. 
and imagine yourself going out the next level, which would be kind of the Milky Way galaxy. And sitting and saying, okay, well, you know what? That's me, too. And everything that's out there is within me because we're not at all separate. It's the same thing. And, you know, if I'm awake, then who's sleeping? And when I'm sleeping, who's really awake? It's kind of this, this interesting question. But when you let yourself go and kind of experience that part of yourself, you can understand, too, that galaxies very much contract and expand as well but on a very cosmic level, beyond what most of us can comprehend on an intellectual level, unless we're one of these amazing physicists or something like that, which <laughs> they just completely blow my mind. <laughs> but really just allowing ourselves to tap into that cosmic level of contraction and expansion and everything that happens on, you know, in the Milky Way galaxy itself, for example, is happening within us. So as the galaxy contracts and expands, we too contract and expand. And that can affect our breathing when we really allow ourselves to tap into it as well. And from there, it goes on to more of a universal thing. And then once we get into that, we get into multiple galaxies and everything else. So it's just this limitless number when we sit and look at things from a cosmic scale. How many diaphragms do we have? Well, how many galaxies and universes are there? And the number uh, and uh, the numbers. Yeah, I mean, who right. who really really knows? And I mean, most of us aren't walking around operating and allowing ourselves to tap in at that level. I'm certainly not. I don't uh. think I could function <laughs> <laughs> on you know a quote unquote fairly normal level if I was constantly walking around focusing on geez, you know, what am I feeling when I allow myself to tap into what's going on? way out there versus just giving myself permission okay well i'm going to do this consciousness-based practice today and this is where i'm going to go and to see what happens see what i experience and be open to receiving that and understanding that you know that's a part of me every single one of the stars out there is within us i think that's uh that's a lot for people there uh no but that's and i think that's an amazing overview of all of the diaphragms at least get that understanding of the physical like understand that we are contracting expanding like as a person but it's not just that it goes multiple levels beyond that and if you don't want to dive into in depths of each one that's fine but no having that appreciation that there's a contraction and expansion going on within each of us but also our surroundings and much further beyond that it, it can be very powerful to know but also to just let that like Okay, let that sink in for a minute. Like there is more than just our own movements uh, within our body, and there's our breathing can affect and be affected by all of this. Right. It's it's definitely an out there concept for for many, and there are very few people that I've kind of shared that that type of I guess experience with. I certainly don't call it truth with a capital T because it's just based off of experiences. It's just my perception of what I've picked up on. So is there anything else that, or what is something else that you have picked up on that you believe, find like truth for yourself, but other people are either like, that's crazy, or I mean, it doesn't have to be something on that level. It's just something very simple even. Uh, but what are some of those things like that where it's like, as far as health goes, like, hey, this is something that I really believe that most people really aren't that on board with, but I don't know why. Yeah, so a big one for me, particularly lately, is inviting people to drop their story. Please expand. Yeah, so women in particular are really, really good at telling stories and sharing stories about what's going on in their lives and everything, which on one hand is fantastic, and I think doctors have attributed it to a longer life or something like that because they're more open and they share what's on their mind and their heart and they kind of get it out there. But the question is, at what point does sharing that story become detrimental versus beneficial? At what point does sharing that story become very much like a record that's just digging the same groove over and over and over and is skipping? It's like, how stuck do we want to stay in that story and how deep do we want to keep digging that hole? How much do we want to keep telling ourselves that, you know, we're not worthy, we're not pretty, we're not whatever on, on, it on. is. Right. And how much do we want to continue to give our power away to that situation, that experience, that story, that other person, versus reclaim it for ourselves? So I've really been inviting myself lately to call myself out on all of my bullshit stories. 
And also inviting people to call themselves out on their bullshit stories. You're like, okay, you've shared your story. Art, would you like to change it? And it's inviting them to take a step back and look at things from a different perspective. Yes, this has happened. Yes, this is what you're experiencing. Would you like to change that? Is that past moment true in present time? To me, it's not. I mean, each day is a new day. And it's the only day that exists. And, and this is something that I've just recently, I guess, filtered into my own aspect of being and I'm really working on integrating it into self is, you know, drop all the past stuff. There's no bad, there's no good, and all that exists is this one present moment. So when we wake up and say something happens and, you know, maybe it's not pleasant, we'll and say, geez, you know, this is the absolute worst day ever. By far, well, why do we think it's the worst day ever? Because we're comparing it to our perception of what good days are based on past experiences. So can we just sit and say in the moment, geez, you know, rather than sit and judge this as the worst day ever, be present in that moment and say, geez, you know, I'm really feeling sad. I'm really feeling angry. And this is the best day ever because I am here in this moment and I'm able to experience every little thing that life brings to me. I mean, chew, what a gift. What a huge, tremendous a gift. And very cathartic. I would say at first, and it's a huge practice to sit and be willing to drop that story and just start calling stuff out and being like, you know what, that's not true. <laughs> now, Amanda, do you find, like, do you have any other specific uh, routines or practices that you do, like, daily? The, is there anything else, like, that, hey, I do this, like, every single day, like, is, it, is do you have any morning routines that you really follow, anything like that? Yeah, so I've recently started a morning routine. Of what does that look like? Yeah, let's let's, <laughs> let's hear about it, please. Yeah, so each morning I get up, I I have recorded an affirmation on my phone in my own voice, basically stating specific things about myself that I think I need to hear myself say at the moment, as well as where I want to see myself being, so I can start to integrate into who I am here and now, who I envision myself becoming. Um, so that's that's my very first thing in the morning and then well, the rest is, of my... is that a is that a two minute practice? Is that a twenty minute practice? What what does that look like for you? Yeah, so right now that's a ten minute practice. And um, actually I'm super excited to share. I'm going to be starting a Facebook group and it's going to be inviting people to do the hundred day gong practice. So over the course of 100 days is to choose one dream, one action, and make a commitment to do it for 100 days straight. Just create a group to support each other and get out there and be proactive about making some sort of change in your life. Whether it's as simple as, you know, heck, I want to drink more water. So each and every day I'm going to go from drinking two glasses of water to four glasses of water. And if I fall off the boat wagon, you know what, that's okay. The next day I'm going to get back on and I'm start all over again. To, you know, for me, I mean, my big thing is taking my morning routine and adding an extra 20 minutes of meditation to that. So I'll be spending 30 minutes first thing in the morning, 10 minutes of um, diving in and repeating things to myself and listening and then doing 20 minutes of probably standing and moving meditation as well. Now, as far as other movement practices, like what what do your movement practices look like? <laughs> They're wild and crazy. <laughs> let's let's hear it. And, it. and this could be like your yeah. morning movement practice, which a movement meditation is certainly going to be different than your gym or outdoors movement practice, whatever that may be. Right, right. So I don't have too much of a morning movement practice. Um, most of my morning is focused on getting my kids up and out the door and off to school. And that could be a movement practice in itself, I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> Typical mom duties. <laughs> um, but my, my afternoon and evening practice, it largely depends on what I choose to focus on for the day. Um, I recently started skill training on aerial rope, um, which has been absolutely fantastic and mind-blowing and has really filled in a missing piece of the puzzle in just the, the week and a half that I've, I've been doing it. Um, for me, the biggest, one of the biggest challenges I've had is taking a movement practice, and I would have various energetic and emotional releases, 
as well as physical ones, all the way down to the fascial level after doing certain movement practices. And I would feel so destabilized afterwards that I would be concerned that I would get hurt. So whenever that came up after certain movement practices, I just wouldn't do that type of practice. So I'm like, you know, this is not safe for me. I've been injured before. I have no desire to be injured again. How can I integrate this? Surprisingly, since incorporating rope training into my program, I experiences those same releases I was experiencing before, except it's fully integrated. There's no ragdoll effect. And it's, it's just been mind, absolutely mind-blowing for me. So I'm really excited to see where it's going to go, not just on a physical level and things like that. And I mean, who knows where it'll go as far as physicality goes, but also an emotional, energetic level. Um, for what it's doing for me there. And then the other movement practice I do, I've been practicing hand balancing for just over a year now, and I'm still at the kind of suck at it stage. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I do, I I have a lot of fun with it. You know, when I was first starting out, I get super, super frustrated. Why am I not making any progress and everything? And a good friend to me came out and he said, what, are you auditioning for Cirque du Soleil or something? I was like, no. He said, why do you care? (laughs) Is it really that important that you get a handstand today? And I was like, well, you know what, you're right. <laughs> um, so so that, be, that practice is a big one on taking pressure off of, my, off of myself and letting things just unfold as they will at their own time and being completely okay with that. Um, I also do some martial art-based stances that I learned from one of my dear friends, um, Benny Ferguson. And for me, that ties in a lot of the physical practice with the emotional practice as well. And to me, any, any type of movement practice to me is an emotional practice. So when you really tap into your body through movement, it will bring stuff up on an emotional level. And the question for me is, you know, can I give myself permission to feel and express whatever comes up in the moment? Even if I'm surrounded in a gym with you know, 50 <laughs> old school bodybuilding guys, you know, can I give myself permission to cry in the middle of the gym floor? <laughs> and be okay with that. And, you know, it's, it's a big practice of letting go of the fear of what other people are going to think and do what's most beneficial for me. And now, have you given yourself that permission to, hey, be yourself in front of whatever crowd? It could be 50 bodybuilders, it could be whoever. Do you feel comfortable in that, in that in that point now for yourself? I have, and I think it's a continual practice too of of letting go. You know, I've I've definitely cried in the gym, <laughs> you know, through my movement practice, and things will just come up out of nowhere, and I let myself cry now. You know, versus years ago with that yoga practice where I stuffed it down and stored it in my left hip. Now it's like not going there. <laughs> I learned my lesson. I'm not going to repeat that that story again. I'm just going to move on and let it go as it comes up. And then, yeah, the rest of it is just continuing to put myself out there, you know, and being who I am and sharing what I have to offer with people and not be afraid of what they they think. And I think that's that's definitely a practice for myself and probably everybody. So, going off that, what's What's a piece of advice that you would give to, say, your 20-year-old self? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I would definitely tell my 20-year-old self to listen to her intuition. Anything about the intuition that she should have picked up upon? Is is there something like that? No, I mean, is there anything with intuition that you are talking about? Like, anything specific about that? Oh, yeah, for for sure. Um... Yeah, when I was 20 years old, I was living in Alaska and uh, was with my soon-to-me husband at that time, who's now my ex-husband. But definitely my intuition was very much saying, this is not the right relationship for you, this is not the right guy for you, you know, cut all ties, move on. And Harry was thinking, oh, you know, it's just cold feet. Well, you could have been cold, you were in Alaska, and, I mean, it's true. Uh, right. So. <laughs> And things like that. So, I mean, that was definitely a huge, huge, huge lesson for me. And, you know, when your voice speaks, chances are it's telling you something really important and you should listen to it. Absolutely. Well, no, and I think from that lesson, though, 
you still learned, I mean, probably more than you could have any other way now because that was it's probably one of the biggest teachers you ever could have had. And from that standpoint, well, okay, maybe it was it was hard, it was challenging, like you went through it, but now you've learned and your intuition has just obviously gone through the roof and it's something that you can empower and hold on to and cultivate today. Oh, for sure, for sure, absolutely. I mean, if I sit and I look back, <clears throat> that's definitely, I don't want to say the nail in the coffin, but it was the nail in the coffin in a big wake-up call um, to myself and how I literally turned my back on myself and my own intuition and decided not to listen to myself. And really, it's been a practice on, you know, how do I forgive myself for not listening to myself? You know, it's, it's like a lot of times with relationships and stuff, you know, a lot of people tend to blame their partners and their spouses and everything else. It's like, I beat myself up far more than I ever projected onto my ex. And gosh, I've been divorced nine, ten years going on, I think. And I would probably say it's just been in the past couple of years where I've reached that point where it's like, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm actually really beginning to forgive myself now and move forward from that. So that has been a huge lesson for me. And then just in various strengths of having been a single mom for years. And my kids, when they were younger, they both had special needs at the time and navigating the system for that. So... Definitely, it's like that one single choice that I had made early in my in my 20s set me up for all these amazing experiences that gave me an incredible amount of strength, inner strength and intuition that I may not have had if I hadn't chosen that way. So it's like, hey, you know, thank you, self. <laughs> so one of the last things I was kind of like to ask people, so we were talking about kids here and stuff like you said single mom now but what is your vision for health like in 10 years and 100 years like what is this going to look like for future generations oh that's a really really great question so for future generations i would love to see parents thought leaders um i guess i would say a huge global shift in general so that the kids that we have here and now as well as future kids have a planet to live on for one where they can breathe the air where the soil is good to grow food in where the food is decent and there's good water to drink um, it's a huge I, I really believe we're at a huge global tipping point right now in terms of future generations where if things do not continue to shift in a more holistic way that supports all life on earth our future generations will have one heck of a hard time. But so I for me, it's, it's a huge wake-up call. I'm like, let's you know, let's clean up the air, let's clean up the water. Start really supporting our local farmers and organic farmers, biodynamic farming. Let's get all the chemicals and crap out of our water. Start drinking live spring water. Educating our kids, you know, how to eat healthy. How do you move? You know, put the eye touches and the iPads down. <laughs> <laughs> put these things off your face and get out and actually see the world around you and how can we do that as parents well for one you have to lead by example sorry mom and dad but if you're sitting there with your eye thingies in your face all the time your kids are going to be sitting there with your eye and thingies in your hey, face and just say hey go outside well it doesn't really work yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so it's really you know, how can you reconnect with yourself and reconnect with your family as well and lead by example I love it I, I think hey all of us led a little bit more by example. I think that tipping point is going to go in the right direction then. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, who is somebody that you would want to hear on the podcast here? Like, and what would you want to ask them or what would you like to hear them speak about? Oh, wow. What a fantastic question. <laughs> Man, there are tons of people I would love to hear on the podcast. If you can't narrow it down to one, you could give a few. It's, it's not a problem. <laughs> Yeah, I think somebody I would love to hear more from and is somebody I've been looking a lot into lately and listening to a lot of his free material online off of his website, free courses and stuff, is Jeffrey Slater. He is currently based out of Australia. He was born and raised in the U.S. And 
a lot of what he does is very consciousness-based business work. It is, to me, amazing and mind-blowing. What would you want to ask him? Or even just like have him talk about just any topics in particular? So an interesting topic would be, you know, how do we as holistic health practitioners, which a lot of us, a lot of us are, you know, certainly Chuckies and things like that. How do we take our holistic business and develop it in a conscious way that will not only get our message out there to the world on a higher level, but also support us at the same time on all levels? That's an interesting concept. I, I not much of a businessman myself, but I would love to uh, hear what he would have to say about that for sure. That's fantastic. What do you think he would say? Oh, that's a great that's a great question. I would say part of it is getting very very clear on what your purpose and mission is. Number one, what are you most passionate about? And number two would be what actions are you willing to take on a daily basis to get from point A to point B while remaining in your truth the entire time and being willing to let go of anything within your circle that is not serving your mission your higher purpose. I don't even need to get him on the show now. I think he just gave <laughs> a great answer right there. No, no, thank you for that. that. That was very good, Amanda. Thank you, thank you. Last question, though, that I ask everybody here. What is the one non-negotiable health habit that you have that you never compromise on? But before you answer that, uh, everybody make sure, go ahead over to the show, check out the share no show notes at barenakedhealthpodcast.com so you can see everything the man that I talked about here, hear what her answer is to that, as, also, as well as, hey, where can we find out more about you? Let's, let's get some of those uh, links to send them to as well. Yeah, great. So you can find out more about me on my website, onalim.org. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of the links to those can be found on my website. If people want to reach out to me personally, they can um, send me an email. And my email address is amanda at onalim.org. And then in terms of kind of my number one health hack. Um, hold on, hold on. We're gonna, we're gonna, everybody's going to have to go. No, no, not a problem. Okay. Everybody's going to have to go check out the show notes for that. But, uh, hey, everybody go check out onalim.org. Uh, go over show notes at barenakedhealthpodcast.com see what Amanda's answer to that is uh, but again Amanda thank you so much uh, this was great and I look forward to chatting again soon <laughs> thanks for having me Nick it's been a pleasure thanks for listening and don't forget to go check on your brain health by going over to barenakedhealthpodcast.com and taking the free brain quiz by doing so, you can get a free copy of my book, The Four Morning Secrets to Perfect Brain Health, shipped to your door. Also, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment and a five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out and helping to share the podcast with others.